This is Warner Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Lewis at Large, smart talk and conversation with talented people from all walks of life. A reminder to subscribe to these Lewis at Large podcasts, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, hey, let others know about it. For context, my conversation with journalist Amelia Pang was recorded in February of 2021. You're extremely pleased to have with us today uh, Amelia Pang, uh, an extraordinary new work called Made in China, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, again, I want to remind you how you can communicate with us. You can reach us at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. Certainly enjoy hearing from you, uh, your comments, suggestions, observations, etc. You can find us on the web at lewisatlarge.com. You can find us on Facebook, the Lewis at Large page there. And as I have been telling you now, what seems to be for weeks and weeks and weeks, we are finalizing details on getting this podcast up and running as well, and we'll keep you informed on that. So all of that aside, uh, let's turn our attention to Amelia Pang. Uh, She is an award-winning journalist. And she has written for publications. You've seen her work in things like Mother Jones and the New Pacific. She's covered topics ranging from organic import fraud to the prevalence of sexual violence in Native American reservations. In 2017, the L.A. Press Club awarded her first place in investigative journalism for undercover reporting on the exploitation of smuggled immigrants who are recruited to work in Chinese restaurants. She lives in our nation's capital, and this is her very first work, an extraordinary one called Made in China, A Prisoner, an SOS Letter, and the Hidden Cost of America's Cheap Goods. With that out of the way, Amelia, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing well, Vornia. How are you? Well, we're good here. Uh, This is a, a subject that we have not explored uh, in the many years that this show has been on the air, and that is the concept and and the process and the issues surrounding foreign manufacturing. And uh, let's do this. Before we dive into the the content uh, of this unique work, share with us a little bit about investigative journalism is important to you. Give us a little bit more about your background and what led you down that path. Um, absolutely, yes. Um, the first investigative piece I did was for Truth Dig. Um, I went undercover as <clears throat> uh, I pretended to be an undocumented Chinese immigrant who didn't speak much English, and I worked in a bunch of. I, I worked in a Chinese buffet um, who pay, that paid extremely, extremely low. Uh, wages for the workers to be there. They were all, for the most part, um, undocumented immigrants, and um, I just I just wrote about that that experience. Um, but the latest, uh, my latest work is covering the labor camps in China. I, I went to China. I visited the camps. I talked to the guards. I followed the freight trucks to see exactly uh, which manufacturers were working with these labor camps. And I also accessed the customs records that showed exactly what types of products they were shipping where. So this is so much of what you do sounds like uh, very much an intense labor of love for you. Let's uh, let's do yeah. uh, focus our attention now on Made in China. This is a, an extraordinary story, and it doesn't start with, but it certainly starts to unfold with a handwritten note, I believe, in some Halloween costumes or decorations that were found uh, in a or purchased at a Kmart in America. Is that correct? 
Yes, that give is us, correct. Yeah, give us uh, some setup there, and let, let's take it from there. Yes, in 2012, an American suburban mother named Julie Keith opens up this brand-new package of Halloween decorations from Kmart. And as she's pulling open, pulling out the Halloween decorations, out falls this SOS letter written by the political prisoner who had made this very product uh, at a labor camp in China. The note basically says, please send this letter to a human rights organization. We need help. We are paid about a dollar per month to work 15 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. We are tortured. Um, just, it just they, they, the, the man just wanted the world to know what he was, what he and the other forced laborers were going through as, as we bought their products. Um, and so the book tells his story, how he ended up in a labor camp, his experiences there, what ended up happening to him. Uh, but it also steps back to look at the problems in our supply chain. Um, that allowed this product to end up in a Kmart in the first place. And and the deeply flawed ways that a lot of corporations are auditing their Chinese suppliers and how consumers can hold our favorite companies accountable. Amelia, if you know the details, so did a I'm, – I'm just kind of curious, and maybe, maybe you cut up for just a second. Did a consumer buy this product and find it, or tell us how that all happened? Right. Well, it was actually – a family member who had purchased it because it was unclear in sale. You know, it was just so cheap, too good of a deal to pass by. And But the person who purchased it didn't really need it, so um, the person handed it off to this this uh, suburban mother named Julie. And, you know, she didn't really need it either, so it kind of just sat in her storage for about two years before she finally remembered to open it and was quite shocked to see this whole time there was a SOS letter waiting for her to find it. Wow. That must have been. And so did she, what, I'm curious, what did she do? Did she go back to, where did she trail it back to Kmart and talk to them? Or what What happened from there? Yeah, she, <laughs> she tried to contact everyone she could think of uh, to get help, uh, whether it's talking to the corporations, talking yeah. to the press, contact, contacting organizations. Uh, but the issue really speaks to just, you know, the problem with, with our consumer culture, and I'm guilty of this too, just arbitrarily buying things you don't really need just because it's cheap, um, and how and how that contributes uh, to factors that really push Chinese suppliers to outsource work to labor camps. It's, you know, it's our consumer demand for all of these cheap goods right. uh, and, and all these latest trends that really create unsustainable unsustainable uh, factors. So, Amelia, so I've got to believe, my gosh, that this worker uh, that put this, wrote this note and put it in there, that's an extraordinary risky thing if they were to be found out. Yes, yes. He he was quite nervous um, about doing it when he was um, considering whether or not to write the SOS letter because he was hoping he had to consider, you know, he could actually get released potentially in a few years if he just, you know, hanged tongue tight and just didn't, um, you know, didn't mess with the guards too much or invite their ire. Um, Or he could, but he just really wanted the world to know and to provide evidence that just what was really happening at these camps. If you just joined us, yours truly, Warner Lewis from the flight deck, uh, Lewis at large. And uh, 
Got a good one going here. A really intense story uh, uh, penned by uh, award-winning journalist Amelia Pang. The work is called Made in China, a Prisoner, an SOS Letter, and the Hidden Cost of America's Cheap Goods. Uh, Amelia, um, so let's talk about this a little bit. You have a worldwide demand, as you were talking about, for buying things less expensive. Um, those companies that manufacture it are rewarded. Those companies that sell it are rewarded. Uh, those that ship it are rewarded. How do you turn that ship around, and how do you tell the consumers you need to start paying more? I mean, is it or or are there ways to deliver inexpensive goods that are produced not necessarily by slave labor, so to speak? That's a great question, and and the issue doesn't necessarily always come down to price. There has been companies that are not cheap, such as Ralph Lauren, BMW, Nike, Abercrombie & Fitch, that have been found to be using uh, the Uyghur forced laborers. Um, uh, The Australian Strategic Policy Institute released a wonderfully well-documented report uh, last year uh, with, with hard evidence that 82 well-known global brands, a lot of them are quite expensive brands, um, are, are, are using Uyghur forced laborers. And, and, you know, it's been a year, and not many of them have said that they dropped those specific suppliers. And consumers need to be more aware, and we need to hold these co- companies accountable. So as, as this... When you tell me how what linked you with this story, and were you the first or one of the only ones to know about this, or tell us how this thing sort of got out? Yeah, unfortunately, this is not really a news story. There's been several SOS letters uh, discovered uh, before this particular Halloween one was discovered, and even after. Um, you know, the earliest one was. In the 1990s, when a pro-democracy activist named Chen Pokong uh, was uh, forced to labor in a terribly, terribly grueling labor camp, uh, making artificial flowers um, and carrying stones in a quarry during the day, like, he did so much different types of work, and and he he actually managed to get an SOS letter out. Uh, to the U.S., uh, to a human rights organization, and they publicized it, and everyone was very shocked. There was even congressional hearings about it. You know, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi even commented about it at the time in the 90s. You know, and, and, and since then, there's, there's been not much that has changed. We're still seeing various kinds of forced labor products from China entering the U.S., and I, I think it's about time that we address the core factors that are pushing Chinese suppliers to use this kind of labor. And so what my book does is it, it lists some specific questions we can ask our corporations to hold them accountable. Um, at the end of the day, this is about educating consumers how to make more informed purchases and how to help create that more sustainable industry. I know your concern right now in this story involves goods that have arrived on American shores, but undoubtedly these same things are happening in Europe and other parts of the world. Is that is that not true? And do they, in your opinion, 
have the same kind of recognition of the kind of exploitation that's going on there. That's a great point. They, they are going all over the world, not just the U.S., and there isn't really much that is a, from any country that's holding China accountable for sending these products. What about, uh, it, it, you talked about, again, this, this issue is not completely new. It, is, it goes back. Uh, it transcends the president. It transcends certain things that are the various elections that we've got. Do you believe that there is more and more international pressure and more and more international condemnation of this kind of behavior, this kind of manufacturing process uh, and the whole marketing process of these inexpensive goods? Are we getting better or is it getting worse or are we still just sort of ignoring it? There, there is, we're starting to see more condemnation, but um, but it's not nearly enough. Uh, right now, one of the largest labor camps are, are the ones that house the Uyghur Turkic Muslims. Um, and and really, you're seeing a lot of silence amongst the, the Muslim-majority countries because they all um, are trading with China. They're all part of a, a what's called a Belt and Road Initiative, which is a trillion-dollar economic development strategy uh, for China to invest um, and become major trade partners with um, countries all over the world and and to trade even more with them. And and so you're really seeing a lot of silence uh, among China's trading partners. So let's let's do this. Let's let's attack the problem. Um, what can the consumer do? What can the government do? Uh, what can other companies do? What can other, not only in the United States but worldwide, to put pressure on this and say never again, no more? Well, I think we rely only on the companies. Not much is going to change. Uh, for example, the 82 companies that have been found abusing forced labor, nobody has held them accountable, so most of them have not really changed anything. Um, but what consumers can do is start asking companies to start listing. Um, the next time you go on a, your favorite company's website to go shopping, uh, take a moment to look at their sustainability page or their corporate social responsibility page and see what it says exactly. That's what Made in China teaches you what to look for. Um, so what we hope, we're hoping to see is just get more companies to start revealing what kind of audits are they actually doing when, when they audit their factories. What are the things they look for? How, how are they really ensuring? Are they doing everything they can to ensure that their factories are not using forced labor? Because a lot of times, that's unclear in, on the company's website, um, even though they may claim to be sustainable and may claim to care about not having forced labor in the supply chain. So that's one thing that consumers can do to, to hold our corporations accountable. And uh, policy-wise, one thing uh, that would be really impactful if it got passed would be the Uyghur, labor, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And what that would do, it would, it would ban all products from Xinjiang, which is a huge area. It's a, swath, it's a large swath of area in China with a huge amount of forced labor um, because that's where the majority of the, the Turkic people are detained. Uh, so that passed unanimously in the House. It was one of the few issues that Republicans and Democrats both agreed with. You know, this is awful. We don't want this type of forced labor entering, entering our stores. 
Um, so it's it's really stalled for a long time in the Senate, but hopefully we'll see we'll see something happen there. Uh, but I am concerned that that's not going to get passed because you know Apple and Nike and other corporations like that have been lobbying, uh, putting significant money into lobbying for that to not get passed or heavily revised. So yeah, and by mentioning Apple, that was actually going to be my next question. You you know I would think. The stereotype that our listeners might have is, well, this is this is Kmart of the world, this is the Walmarts, this is those big discount retailers. But the fact of the matter is, there are some higher end companies, uh, as you mentioned. Nike is not an inexpensive product. Apple is certainly not an inexpensive product. Both of them trying to position themselves, at least in the public marketplace, as a very both being highly politically correct and backing all the right things, and yet behind the scenes. Uh, they are just as guilty, quote unquote, uh, as some of the big discount retailers. Um, when you when did you make an attempt to talk to the people from these companies and what were their response? I certainly made an attempt to, to talk to Apple because the, the trucks that I followed one actually went went to an Apple factory. Um, it had a direct connection with the labor camp, and. Um, they they have not given me a, a response about. They have not shown me what that they've done anything differently to to stop sourcing from their factory or to to hold this factory accountable in any way. They haven't uh, told me any of this. So you've at least inquired about it because again, I would think I think a lot of people that purchase Apple products, well, maybe they wouldn't be surprised, but my sense is they might be a little bit more surprised and sort of disappointed, so to speak. I'm putting a value judgment where maybe I shouldn't, but with Apple and Nike more than with maybe with Kmart and Walmart, which I would think the average consumer would think, yep, that's what they're all about is buying inexpensive products. Yes. Um, again, it's not the necessarily always the issue of price. An right. SOS letter was also found in a Saks Fifth Avenue shopping bag in 2012. Um, then, uh, so it's the, even the so-called more expensive brands are right. are guilty too. Yeah. So again, let me kind of go back to this. As as you again, you've done a lot of research on this. You've you've put a, a lot of energy, obviously, and talked to a lot of people, and and get a greater sense of worldwide. Um, books like this, uh, revelations like this, help to shine a light into some very dark corners. Are we at a point though yet where those factories uh, in China? Um, these exploitive situations, are they beginning to feel any pressure or are they just roaring on as if nothing's happened? I, I do think they're feeling pressure. Uh, I mean, especially with the pandemic and the trade war, it, it certainly has impacted the factory, um, the factories there. And while the economy might be doing, might be going pretty well in China, they, the, a lot of these factories are are very competitive with each other. You have to remember there's there's almost too many factories in China. Uh, they they all want to get a contract with a big brand, and once they can get it, they they don't want to do anything that would risk upsetting the brand or, or losing this contract. So a lot of times they're, they're not actually going to subcontract to forced labor until they're really pushed to the brink and and they have no choice because the, the, the price that the, the brand is demanding from them is too low 
or the brand is not giving them enough time to actually make the product because the brand really wants to meet uh, and meet the latest fast fashion trends and really capitalize on this on this on this trend. Uh, so, so these are some of the issues that we as consumers have control over and can address based on our our spending power and our shopping habits. Well, uh, if you read uh, an important new uh, revealing investigative piece of journalism, this would be it. Uh, to my Lewis at Large listeners, the work is called "Made in China: A Prisoner, an SOS Letter, and the Hidden Cost of America's Cheap Goods." It's published on Algonquin Books. Uh, the author is award-winning journalist Amelia Pang. Uh, Amelia, we probably know, but would share with our listeners how they can pick up a copy of the book and also. Uh, read some of uh, the work that you've done in the past because you're quite prolific in your work. Thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, the book, uh, which includes details and about how, what you can actually do about the situation, um, will be it's 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 on sale right now and, and it's available anywhere where books are sold, um, including the ebook and the audiobooks. Uh, and you could also go to my website ameliapang.com to look at my previous works. Well, best of luck with this. I am kind of curious. Um, this seems like this would be a tremendous uh, piece for a documentary of some kind. Have you explored that possibility? Um, there actually already is a documentary about um, Masanjia, which is one of which is the main labor camp that okay. I focused on in the book in the beginning. Uh, it's called Letter from Masanjia, so people can look it up. But I expect probably there should be more documentaries about just the larger, yeah, the larger scope of 